What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the Made to Move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon what's up everyone welcome back to the healthy charleston podcast for today's podcast i sat down with christine neal the director of communications for we are sharing hope sc So We Are Sharing Hope is South Carolina's organ and tissue recovery service organization. If you're like me, all you probably know about organ and tissue donation is what they show on Grey's Anatomy when they're like hella vacuuming a cooler, everything is crazy and wild. You probably heard a few myths about being an organ donor like on your license and all that stuff. So Christine is here to tell you the truth about all of those things about organ and tissue donation, and she also answers all of my weird questions. So, enjoy. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Today, I have with me Christine Neal, Director of Communications for We Are Sharing Hope SC. So, welcome. Thank Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So, tell me a little bit about... What is Director of Communications for We Are Sharing Hope? Sure. So we appreciate the opportunity. Um, we Are Sharing Hope SC is South Carolina's organ and tissue donor program. So we're responsible for facilitating the gift of life here in South Carolina for our donor families and providing that gift to those who are on the national transplant waiting list. So right now there's about 111,000 people on the national um, transplant waiting list, about 1,100 of those here in South Carolina. So our hope and really our mission is to be that link for those who are awaiting while also honoring the legacy of those heroes who say yes. Um, One hero can change the lives of um, more than 100 people. They can save lives um, through organ donation and save up to eight lives through organ donation. Um, And they can give the gift of tissue donation and that can enhance the lives of more than 75 people. So by saying yes, you're really impacting an entire community of people. Um, And it's, it's truly just an inspirational opportunity that we all have when we're no longer here. Yeah. Wow. How did you get started in all that? So I actually, my background is in public relations, so I always knew I wanted to talk. <laughs> I knew I, I wanted to talk. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to talk. I always, um, I ended up getting my master's in public administration, so I knew I wanted to do something to serve the community. And so after working in a few different um, positions where I was a PIO for different cities and Um, worked in a couple different capacities, I found a position in Orlando as the public education coordinator for um, the OPO down there, which is Organ Procurement Organization. And um, and in that role, I really had the opportunity to get out into the community, to answer questions, to really share the stories of those people who had been impacted by organ and tissue donation, and I um, instantly, probably day one, knew that this was a field that I wanted to be in for the rest of my life. I um, had the opportunity to meet one donor dad um, on my first day, which also happened to be our local race for um, organ donation awareness, and so I had the opportunity to meet so many donor families and recipients, and one in particular just sort of Um, inspired me and he shared his story about his son who had died in a car accident and um, through the gift of donation he was able to save five lives and so it was actually his birthday that day so he was walking around he had a balloon and um, and he got to say his name and he got to talk about the incredible impact that he had had through saving lives and I saw firsthand that day 
um, that organ donation provides just that. It provides our families with an opportunity to continue um, their healing process in a way that others may not. And that is something so special that even years later, they can talk Mm -hmm. about the impact that their loved one had through the gift of organ and tissue donation. And um, our job here at We Are Sharing Hope is to really provide that opportunity for them. So we um, have a phenomenal volunteer group uh, comprised of donor families, recipients, people who are passionate about the cause. Um, And we have an opportunity for our families to really get out there and and talk about um, who their loved one was. And um, our job is to really pair those passions with the opportunities that exist in the community. So we, from an education standpoint, really focus on getting into um, communities where we can establish relationships. We're really um, heavily focused on relationships and want people to trust in us as an organization, trust the message of donation. We understand that there are a lot of questions, that there it's a very personal decision, and so we want to be that trusted source for them. Um, so through our volunteer program, we're really able to get into the schools, get into churches, share that message, but also bring in um, real-life testimonials mm-hmm. because I always say I can talk about organ and tissue donation until I'm blue in the face, mm-hmm. but really it's you know the donor families and our recipients who have the ability to inspire our community. Um, you know, they, we have people here in Charleston who have been touched by the gift. They've received that second chance. They're here. They're watching their children graduate. They're walking them down the aisle. Um, you know, they're doing all of these things because of a hero. And um, to give them a chance to, to thank that hero yeah. um, is really special. And then to give our donor families a chance to talk about their hero is also really special. So um, we as an organization have about 100 employees. Um, and so it's really an opportunity. Um, we have you know finance and IT and, and quality. Um, we have clinical coordinators who work in the hospital with our um, patients who have been declared brain dead or um, families who have decided to withdraw care. Um, those are the two ways that donation can become a pathway. And so we also have family support counselors who work um, hand-in-hand with our families in that moment of acute loss in the hospital, um, supporting them, educating them, giving them resources to know uh, what donation can do for others. Um, so we have that those staff members and then we have an entire tissue team and hospital development coordinators who go out and educate our hospital partners. We partner with more than 80 hospitals in the state of South Carolina uh, to let them know when to call us, what that looks like, how to call us. And, um, and then we have an education team and an aftercare team, which um, work hand in hand to be able to provide those opportunities to answer questions, to share stories, to um, really just elevate the conversation of organ and tissue donation. It doesn't have to be scary. A lot of people don't know about it. They don't um, ask those questions. So we just want to be that resource for people. So what questions do you feel like you get the most? No, that's a great question because we get a lot of, (laughs) uh, you know, and and as much as I love um, all of our you know, TV shows and movies, Grey's Anatomy. I mean, I'm the biggest fan of Dr. McDreamy ever, however. (laughs) It is not accurate. You know, and nothing that we see on TV is accurate. So so, they don't rush it and put it in the hell of a Right. Does it happen? That doesn't, I know. It's so, you know, it, it just doesn't happen that way. So one of the biggest, you know, questions that we see and hear is if I put organ donor on my driver's license, uh, those first responders won't work as hard to save my life. What a myth. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and, you know, that is such a myth. And it, and it really, you know, it's those first responders are there to save that person's life. That is their first priority. They don't even know if somebody is an well, organ not donor. They're going to be like, hold on, right. let's Let me check, check their for, wallet. Right. <laughs> no, like, they're going to respond. Exactly. They're, that's what they're there for. 
Um, and the reality is, even in, if it is on their license, they may have gone online and removed themselves. So they don't have access to the actual state of South Carolina registry. Only our teams do. Okay. So they, we are only ever consulted after all life-saving efforts have been exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, death has been declared. Um, a family has either been told brain death or that they, um, you know, have the opportunity to withdraw life support if that's something that the family decides. Um, so you're and, never contacted before. So we are contacted in the um, instance of an imminent death. So okay. if somebody has um, suffered a life-ending um, accident or trauma and there is it looks as though that patient is not going to make it, then that's when the hospital calls us. Um, We're not there when the patient is admitted. We don't tell the show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, you know, know when that happens. Um, And really in that moment, in those first few moments, our job is to support the family in that and to make sure that they have the information that they need to make the decisions for their family, regardless of whether or not that decision includes donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we work very closely just to make sure that they're comforted, that there's, you know, when you are in that moment and you lose somebody and there's a lot going on, you know, there are so many questions that families have just about what brain death means, um, what you know, the extent of their loved one's injuries are, will they survive, what will their life quality be if they do survive, and so our teams are there to provide those answers and to help support them. Um, If there is a pathway for donation, then in that moment we're able to work with the hospital as well as the family um, and the transplant centers to really find out if there is an opportunity for for life-saving transplants and that requires really a a balance between donor hospitals, um, transplant centers, and us as the OPO to ensure that we're finding the perfect match, that we are giving a clear clinical picture in that moment, and that there is somebody who's awaiting that gift. Um, You know, there is no recovery if there's not anybody that's a perfect match. And so we want to make sure we're able to time it right, we facilitate the transportation and coordinate all of that to make sure that those um, transplant center doctors can come in, recover the organs, and take them back to those who are waiting. There's a full process. There's an entire full process, yes. yes. And you are on both ends, right? You you get to be with the family, and like it sounds like that's where you start. And so mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of organ donation is portrayed as just like, oh, I'm here to take the organs, like, right. here we go, right. but right. that's just very much not not the case, not how it works right. at all. No. So when you say perfect match, mm-hmm. what exactly do you mean? So each um, organ has a test that's run to determine um, a recipient on that list. So I mentioned there's about 111,000 people on the National Transplant Waiting List, that list isn't stagnant. It's not just a stagnant list that, you know, you take the top and, and you move from there. Okay. It really depends on um, a number of factors, including body size, blood type, um, the antigens for the different um, organs, mm-hmm. you know, pairing those. Every organ has a different clinical picture that has to be matched. Um length of time on the waiting list, how far away from the transplant center they are, all of these different things to go into finding that perfect recipient because you can't, you know, recover a heart for somebody in South Carolina and fly that to California. So there, I know. So there's, you know, there's time limits and, Mm -hmm. and there's, um, travel coordination to make sure that all of those are, received um, in the most pristine condition possible. And so um, kidneys can last outside of the body um, up to about 36 hours on a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, a heart has about four to six hours, um, lungs, liver, six to eight. So, you know, there's a very tight window um, for that precious organ to be transported and transplanted into the recipient. So UNOS, which is the United Network for Organ Sharing, actually coordinates all of that allocation, Mm -hmm. and they send us back a list of potential transplant centers. And so then our team works to coordinate transportation, 
answer any questions that the recovering um, physician might have. You know, make sure that they are making a decision based on the most information that they have available for their patient and um, and then making that gift happen. So there's a lot that goes into that. A lot that. of steps. A lot <laughs> right. of collaboration. <laughs> right. Too. Absolutely. What do you feel like is the hardest part in that process? I would hurdle. say the biggest hurdle would really um, be the the elaborate timing and coordination of multiple teams. Um, you know, once a family has made that decision and signed the paperwork, then um, it sort of sets off a, a rainbow of effects where yeah. you know our teams start with UNOS and providing them a clinical picture. And, you know, if you have a hero who has donated up to eight organs, that's eight potential teams that are coming in to recover those organs. And so you have to sort of, you know, an OR is only so big. Mm -hmm. So what is your timing in terms of recovery and who's coming in first and what um, organ needs to be recovered first to get, you know, to the patient in enough time. And so there's a lot with regard to sort of that um, elaborate orchestration yeah, I can't even of <laughs> <If an> orchestration, <laughs> right? Right, and then you know, from a tissue recovery standpoint, being able to then recover tissue and um, and do all of that in a very um, sterile environment where it you know the care is utmost with our with our donor heroes. Um, making sure that the family is kept up to date to make sure that they can continue making funeral plans. Um, Organ and tissue donation does not um, prevent a family from having an open casket funeral. So, you know, a lot of our families want to sort of work with the timing of their family coming in for the funeral. Um, So we work with them as well to make that happen. And... um, really just to be that resource for our families. You know, that, again, is our um, the cornerstone of who we are as an organization and who we focus on uh, making sure they're comfortable and educated throughout the entire process. So do you, you get to spend time with the family that is the donor family? Yes. And then do you also get to spend time with the recipient family? So we do through our volunteer program. Okay. So we work very closely with MUSC. Uh, to be able to provide them opportunities to get involved, share their stories, meet other recipients, Mm -hmm. and um, to also help facilitate that correspondence. One of the biggest uh, roles that my team, from an aftercare standpoint, is responsible for is making sure that the letters that our donor family send to the recipients get Mm -hmm. to them and vice versa. So being able to provide that gift when that happens um, and then, you know, potentially setting up a meeting. Do they? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they do. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful meeting and a beautiful opportunity for our families to be able to see what their loved one was able to do and for our recipients to be able to meet the family who saved their life. Um, So we actually have had quite a few very special meetings. Uh, We just had a um, race in February (laughs) pre-COVID. So uh, we had a a race. It was like right before. It was last weekend in February and um, we had a family meet there as well. So, you know, they happen all the time and we're just blessed to be a part of that. I feel like that would be incredibly emotional. It is. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone's crying. Yes. Right? Yes. So you've been with this organization for two years. Two years. Right? And yes. before that you were in Orlando. Yes. So what caused the transition? Sure. So um, I actually had the opportunity in Orlando to work under um, my executive director, Dave mm-hmm. Stefano. And he um, sort of grew up in the OPO world, and his core values and mission really are about our families. And when he came to Orlando as our executive director, um, I was able to see the impact that he was able to have on our community, on our families, on our processes. Um, and then he actually was offered the position as president and CEO here. Oh, and so okay. he is the current uh, president and CEO Mm -hmm. of We Are Sharing Hope. And when he got here, he recognized um, the opportunity for us to engage our families, engage our community, um, have a 
communications position that really focused on elevating the mission of donation in South Carolina mm-hmm. and um, and really also letting people know about We Are Sharing Hope. You know, when we had just gone through a name change, so oh, okay. it was a perfect opportunity to sort mm-hmm. of um, talk about who we are so that people knew if we were going in to talk to them in the hospital, who we were, mm-hmm. uh, what we stand for, and who we are as individuals here in the community. Um, so I was able, so I applied for the position, um, met with the wonderful leadership team, met with the team um, that I would be working with, and it just was a, a great match. And um, and to be able to sort of help build part of what we are doing here um, in South Carolina and get people to know who we are sharing hope is and what Oregon and Tissue does and yeah. the impact that it has. So I feel like that part is huge. Like yeah. just talking to you, because I mean, I had really no idea other than yeah. like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I feel like a huge part of your job must be just like information, just yes. educating people yes. on no, this doesn't happen, right. this does happen, and just like getting the information out there yep. so that people aren't like, what, right. what is this? Right. Because we all know when you lose somebody, there's so much going on and you're very rarely in a position where you can make a decision that you haven't thought about before. And so our hope is to be able to have those conversations outside of the hospital mm-hmm. room so that if you are presented in that um, moment, that you, A, have talked about it, that you've made your decisions known, um, and that you feel comfortable with it. That's really what we want to. It's not yeah. the first time you're thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So you've been in this kind of organization for 11 years, Mm -hmm. right? How do you feel like it's changed? No, so that's a great question. Um, And I think it's changed because I think people are more open to discussing organ Mm -hmm. and tissue donation. I think they see it as um, as a gift. And I think that once they ask their questions, they're really no hesitation as to why they wouldn't register. And I think that that's um, phenomenal in terms of saving lives. And, you know, it also goes to show the altruistic, um, mentality of, of our communities and, and sort of, they just want to know. One of the things I, I found whenever I moved here was that our community is thirsty for information. So I would go to an event and we'd answer all the questions and I'd walk away with scheduling five more events. And I was like, wow. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. let's do this. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned is that people are open to having that information mm-hmm. presented. Um, so I was able to, to develop our team here and we now have two public education coordinators and, um, and a public education coordinator too. So that team is responsible for building relationships and education and getting into the community when we can, (laughs) Uh, you know, and, and really providing that information in a way that people are open to receiving it. So on that note, what is a typical year, not 2020, but before this, (laughs) what does that look like in terms of events? So we have, um, in 2019, we, um, met our, so we had about, I want to Say seventy plus events um, throughout the year, where we were participating in um, and in educating. And the biggest way that we do that is through in services mm-hmm. and through health fairs. So we were very active in our um, healthcare sort of circuit. So you know, if there were events going on, if there were festivals. Um, community events happening, we would always have a table. And so we could answer questions, we could provide materials, we have giveaways. Um, and the other opportunity that we really sort of um, worked hard on in 2019 were our relationships with the faith community. So mm-hmm. working very closely with the AME churches, working very closely with those other churches and faith leaders in the community because when you're in that moment, who do you call, right? So you call your your priest, you call mm-hmm. your pastor. Um, and so making sure that they had the information to share with families and understand what it might look like if they were in the same room with one of our team members and how they could really become an ambassador for mm-hmm. um, donations. So we worked on 
that in 2019. Um, with regard to big events, we um, host an annual walk run. Um, so we held that, luckily, this year in February. Um, and where is that? That is at Johns Island oh, okay. um, County Park. And so next year we are moving to Folly Beach. We oh, okay. do know that it will be in February, so we're excited um, about that. Well, hopefully. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we're still doing this. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even imagine what this is going to look like in, in a year. Yeah. Um, so we, we have that. And last year, well, this year, we, um, we held our biggest event. And um, we had more than 800 people. And we were able to provide a space for people just to come together and celebrate their loved one, um, celebrate their second chances, we also um, participate in the annual um, Rose Parade, Donate Life Rose Parade in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were able to send a family to Pasadena and see their loved one. Um, it was her husband's uh, picture mm-hmm. was depicted on a floor graph that was on the float as it went down the streets oh, of Pasadena. So wow. that was really cool. Um, another thing, unfortunately, this year was the year for uh, the transplant games. Oh, so what was that? It's like an, an Olympic-style event every, every two years, and it provides transplant recipients the opportunity just to compete with each other. Oh, wow. and The transplant. Yeah. So, um, so it was supposed to be held in New Jersey this year, this week, actually, oh, um, in July. And so they were, um, unfortunately, postponed um, just with so many, um, you know, immunocompromised patients. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was no way to travel. What and do they then, compete in? Um, so it's great, actually. They have a variety of events. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, you know, like triathlons, and they run and bike and swim. Um, and then there's, like, darts and cards. And yeah. so really it's got the whole range. spectrum of, yeah. <laughs> of events. But it's just a really phenomenal um opportunity for recipients to do things that they may not have otherwise been able to do. I mean, these are people who couldn't get out of bed because they couldn't breathe. And so now they're competing against others in a similar situation and, you know, playing darts for six hours. Yeah, like what a way to <laughs> right. Yeah, what exactly. Do. So, so this year, obviously things changed mm-hmm. a little bit. So how has right. that impacted the organization? So this year, so April um, was National Donate Life Month, Mm -hmm. and so when um, COVID sort of became a thing in the middle of March, we sort of pivoted immediately and turned our entire month virtual. Uh, So our whole purpose was to stay virtually connected while socially distant, so that was our um, sort of hashtag Mm -hmm. for the month. And... You know, it, it looked different, but really um, one of the things that I continue to be amazed by with this community is the uh, collaboration and excitement and engagement that they have. So we had volunteer, you know, get-togethers virtually. We um, appreciate it because it's also Volunteer Appreciation Week. Um, we did different giveaways. We had them post videos. We, we Yeah, just try to keep yeah. everybody involved and... Um, and share their blue and green. We did a, um, a bingo so they could do oh, different fun. events throughout yeah. the month and share their stories. Um, so, you know, it did look a little different, mm-hmm. but um, still the community came together and really um, continued to share their stories and inspire others. So, How has this time impacted organ and tissue donation? So we've actually um, been... You know, we we watch that, but we have not seen um, any sort of significant impact as a result of COVID. That's great. So yeah, yeah um, you know, in terms of those who continue to give the gift, um, one thing that we have seen is that our families have been more emotional just about the impact that their mm-hmm. loved one has been able to give in this time. You know, so knowing that the end of life discussions look a little different now because mm-hmm. there's only allowed one person in, you know, they're not, they're having to gown up and there's so much uncertainty just with, um, everything that's going on with COVID that 
giving them the option for organ and tissue donation is something that our families have really clung to and really been grateful for that opportunity. Um, so our teams have been amazing. They've been in the front lines with our hospital partners, um, you know, sort of going into the hospitals every day, working with our families every day, and continuing to see how COVID has impacted sort of the operations of our hospital partners. And um, so I, I continue to commend and appreciate our frontline teams, um, you know, our hospital partners for the work that they're continuing to do. Our office staff is continuing to remain mission focused. And, um, you know, we have different days that we come in on, you know, oh, okay. so we're, we're working two days. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to stagger so that people still stay connected, but everybody's been working so hard and, um, really remained committed to the mission of organ and tissue donation. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. What is on the calendar for the rest of the year? Like if everything were to end, <laughs> like how would I that would like work? jump on and I, I would give all the hugs. Right. <laughs> like what's ideal for you? Right. Um, so, you know, really for us, we, I always tell my team, we can't inspire from behind the desk. So mm-hmm. it's been really hard to connect with our audience that we haven't previously connected with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying to find ways for us to get into, um, you know, different virtual opportunities, virtual classrooms, virtual presentations, mm-hmm. um, is something that we've been doing and, you know, now, um, with August, August is National Minority Donor Awareness Month. And so that as a nation gives us an opportunity to talk about the disparities within the African American communities, minority communities, um, and with regard to organ donation. So when you look at the list in South Carolina, um, about 87 to 90% of the list is African Americans. And so it's, um, a pretty significant, actually, no, that's waiting for kidney. And then about 67 to 70%, I apologize, okay. is, um, is African American. Mm-hmm. And so the need is, is great. And, um, you know, you don't have to be of the same ethnic background to donate to somebody, but it does help with testing and, um, blood type and, you know, all those things that are going to elevate your opportunity mm-hmm. to, to pair and to match. And so, um, you know, when you're looking at those who have the opportunity to, to register and they don't, how do we reach them? How do we answer mm-hmm. those questions? And um, that's really what we've focused on doing for the last year and hope to be able to do throughout August just by highlighting some of the amazing um stories that we have here in the community of people who have been touched by organ donation. Um, you know, we have Everett German, who is the voice of basketball for College of Charleston. Oh, and so nice. he received a kidney and, you know, his journey is oh, just wow. to tell people, you know, I, I was given this gift. Um, you know, it was because of you know, his previous health and he was healthy and it just hit him. Mm-hmm. And to be able to um, see on the back end how that gift has given him that second chance. And so he's mm-hmm. become an amazing ambassador for us. Um, so we're excited about that. And we have a number of different opportunities throughout the month to really engage. Mm-hmm. I encourage anybody that is interested to check out our social media pages. So mm-hmm. we're on Facebook with We Are Sharing Hope SC, um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn with Sharing Hope. So why do you feel like it is harder to reach those populations? So I think that there's, um, you know, a, again, with just misconceptions Mm -hmm. and a mistrust, um, you know, we really want to be able to be transparent and say, this is what happens throughout the entire donation process. Um, and to be able to provide answers. And, um, one of our team members, talks a lot about how, you know, African-Americans don't talk about death. And so, you know, my family is part Mm African-American as well. And so it is one of those things where you just try not to think about it. And, and like I said earlier, the more we talk about it, Mm -hmm. the more 
we're able to sort of bring it out of the shadows and, and answer those questions and see that it is um, this amazing gift and, you know, sort of connect those dots because so many of us within the African-American community know people who are in need of a kidney transplant mm-hmm. um, or who are on dialysis or who have these health conditions that are caused by, um, you know, diabetes Mm -hmm. or high blood pressure and by connecting those dots and realizing that if I am put on a transplant list that somebody has to say yes to save my life is is really something that um, is awakening for Mm -hmm. for so many of our community of all ethnicities and backgrounds so kind of a a cultural thing Mm -hmm. it's I mean it's hard to get anyone to talk about death it is right (laughs) right (laughs) who wants to talk about that nobody does and and that's really why when we talk about it it's more about life you know because and one of the things that um our families and our recipients sort of have struggled with is Somebody had to die for me to get the second chance. And, and the reality is that somebody was already dying. And so that is what we want people to understand is that organ donation is a silver lining and a very difficult decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, that loss is already occurring. So for donation to be offered is a gift for our families. And it's a gift for those who are waiting. Do you feel like a lot of your recipients feel a sort of guilt? There is a, um, it's a real thing. Um, you know, recipient survivors will sort of understanding that, um, they got a second chance. And, um, so by meeting others and meeting donor families, it gives them that opportunity to, to know that it's okay that they got a second chance. Um, and that, our families recognize that their loved one had already died and donation was something that they um, were given in that moment and to be able to see somebody living and breathing and thriving because of them um, like because what of their gift can you yeah, give exactly so you mentioned a little bit earlier about being able to say their name mm-hmm. what did you mean by that so one of the biggest thing um, gifts that we can give our families is the space to say their loved one's name and so many times and I actually just heard it on the radio this morning um, they were talking about being able to ask somebody who has lost somebody about their loved one and so when you lose somebody um, you know you have that immediate acute grief Mm -hmm. where everybody's checking on you appropriately and um, you know making sure that you're okay and then it sort of tapers off and so then you get to six months and you get to a year Mm -hmm. and you get to two years and you get to 10 years and and people either don't know how to ask or they feel uncomfortable or they don't know if you want them to ask. Um, what our families have told us is they, they want to know, they want to be asked, they want to be able to talk about their loved mm-hmm. one. And so organ donation gives them that gift. And um, working with a, a donor daughter in Orlando, she had lost her dad 10 years prior and you know in conversations she kept telling me she said Christine just be being able to spend an hour talking about my dad Mm -hmm. is a gift and so in that moment her dad is with her and she's able to remember his laugh and his jokes and tell others about him Um, and so our program is really meant to give our families that space and we do that through different ceremonies throughout the year. So Mm -hmm. our donor families have an an annual Remembrance Day ceremony. Um, We do different smaller events throughout the year, (laughs) pre-COVID, and, you know, give them a space to talk about who their loved one is, but also to meet and gather with others and sort of, again, have that community. Um, So however that looks like for our families to say their name, Mm -hmm. that's what we want to be able to provide. Just to get people to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. All right, this is a weird question. Are you involved with any of the cadavers at MUSC? Because we used to have a memorial service for them every year. Sure. So I don't know that we do. Um, So I... That was through. Yeah, that might be through, um, like, a lot of universities 
have their own um, programs and families who have made the decision to donate to those programs aren't actually able to be organ donors because, um, you know, they would want the entire body to be able Mm -hmm. to be intact so that people could, um, you know, with medical students and practice and everything like that. Um, So that's a different program than than organ donation, but those are usually through universities or hospitals. What do you feel like is the one thing that you wish more people understood about organ donation? I wish, I hope that people see it as the gift that it is. I I hope that people see it as an opportunity to help others and that in that moment of loss, organ donation and tissue donation can provide healing. It can provide um, a sense of um, continuation and and a legacy for their loved one. Um, I also hope that those who are waiting or know somebody who has received a gift know the impact and the the reality of a family in that moment um, saying yes you know organs don't grow on trees yeah. and so uh, you know it's, it's really deal. important yeah. for um, the community to understand that a family has said yes and mm-hmm. or a, a person has said yes um, and that donation is a gift and um, you know we're able to facilitate that gift and, and answer those questions and we're humbled to mm-hmm. do so um, so I hope people just educate themselves and mm-hmm. ask all the questions um, they can visit our website sharinghopesc.org uh, to see if you know there are ways for them to talk about their family mm-hmm. one of the things we've encouraged people to do through while they're home is really just to talk about it we've got nothing else to do talk about it so um, you know and we're happy to give presentations mm-hmm. we're happy to provide information um, we're happy to do that in a virtual format. We're happy to do that um, in any format that that the community is open to having us. So what's on the agenda for the next few years, like the goals of your organization? So our goals are to continue um, growing our programs. Um, How to long has it been around? Two years. Oh. Well, We Are Sharing Hope has been okay. around for... Uh, since 1984. Okay. So, um, we were LifePoint before. Okay. Um, so we are sharing hope. We changed our name in Mm -hmm. 2017. Um, our communications program has been around for two years and really as an organization, our goal for the next few years is, um, to continue building relationships, to continue, letting people know who we are, um, what we do, and how we do it, um, to be able to sort of be a trusted partner in the community, to um, talk with people in all different communities across the state. We have offices in Columbia and um, Greenville as well. And so, you know, just to be able to be that trusted resource yeah. and to know that if they do have questions, to please call us Um to please work with us and you know we want them to see our logo and to say oh yeah organ and tissue donation mm-hmm. and, and to really with it. right and to really um see that as the beautiful thing that it is does every state have an organization so that's a great question there are actually 58 organ procurement okay. organizations opos um throughout the country and we are all federally designated okay so We all um, have a service area that we've been assigned um, through CMS in the federal government. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the service areas look a little different. I don't know who drew them up, but um, Florida has four. So um, there are four OPOs in Florida, four OPOs in Ohio, three in Texas. Um, But then you go out to the Pacific um, Northwest, and there's like one that covers... Alaska and Washington and oh, North Dakota. Yeah. So, you know, it, it really just depends on population mm-hmm. and, and um, service area size. So. Okay. What is the most frustrating thing about your job? 
That's a great question because I don't get frustrated. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, like I, I, I don't want to say I don't get frustrated because um, we obviously all do. I, I think um, maybe the most frustrating would just be um, the. The ability to not be everywhere all at once. <laughs> oh my god! I always tell my team, I'm like, I, I'm like, I will very rarely say no. Yeah. So um, when we started building our our education team, um, it was a lot of just responding and mm-hmm. and being um, out as in as many places as possible. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, I, I think now we're um, exploring new ways mm-hmm. to get out and, and what that looks like. But really, um, what I've found is that when you're out and you're able to answer those questions, people are open to asking them. Mm-hmm. And so by not being able to be everywhere all at once, can't um, I can't, yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. there's 5 million people in South Carolina. I want to talk to everybody. Do you so. feel like the whole <laughs> virtual shift has helped with that? Um, I do. I, I, I mean, I think that it has given us a new platform mm-hmm. to utilize. I think we've been um, really good at sort of finding new ways to engage and interact. And our reach is different because yeah. we're, you know, touching communities that we may not be able to drive to in a day. Um, so that's definitely um, a new sort of challenge, but it's always... Mm-hmm. Um, something that we're up for There's always so. <laughs> right yeah, sure. yes what's the most rewarding thing about your job I would say sitting with the family um and and um honoring their legacy and giving them and having them see the impact that their loved one was able to make I would say um we are humbled every day to to sit with our families and to serve them and, um, you know, for years. And, and that's one thing that our program is built to do is to provide that support for as many years as our families will allow us to support yeah. them for. So I would say that the most rewarding thing is to serve our donor families. Do you know, is there a number of like how many families you've impacted? Um, well, so in 2019, we had 359 tissue donor heroes mm-hmm. and we had 164 organ donor heroes and that um so we saved 400 and almost 500 yeah Yeah. i know i'm like um, (laughs) you know um close to 500 lives Mm -hmm. last year and um impacted almost 20,000 through tissue donation yeah wow you know, when you look at those numbers, that's an incredible impact um, that we've been able to have. And um, I, I think that that's the reality is that it does actually touch people here in South Carolina. I feel like people kind of view it as like, once you do it, you know, the family never, like there's no connection. And I like that you talked about relationships a lot and like yeah. being able to, to see your impact and and know your impact and even get to like meet the family. Yes. I feel like that would be incredible. Yeah. What's the weirdest question you get about organ and tissue donation? Hmm. There's so many. I want to know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see. You know what? So going back. So, you know, we, we know that those, um, doctors and, and nurses are there to save your life. So, um, you know, the other thing that we hear a lot is um, if people, you know, aren't able to have a, an open casket funeral. Um, I mentioned earlier that organ and tissue donation does not impact the ability to have a, an open casket funeral. Um, donor families are not responsible for any financial costs. So sometimes families are concerned that if they say yes, that it might impact them financially. Um, and in the moment of authorization, all of those costs come to us mm-hmm. as an organization so we absorb those um, understanding that our families are giving the greatest gift um, you know it's it's just a lot of um, just simple questions really um, just things that people have heard or seen yeah. on TV um, and so they're like I don't really know about that and then you know they ask and 
once they know, there there's no question in their mind. So this may be a stupid question. What is the most common organ that is needed? Mm-hmm. No, not a stupid question at all. So it's absolutely kidneys. Okay. So um, out of the hundred and eleven thousand people who are waiting, about ninety thousand of them are uh, waiting for a kidney. One hundred and eleven thousand. Yeah. Ninety thousand. Oh yeah, waiting for a kidney. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, and and that really you know gives us opportunity. I always joke that we're so full of opportunity. Like we have yeah. so much opportunity um, here, and um, because not only can a person survive with one kidney, so you can actually donate while you're mm-hmm. still alive, and you can do that through MUSC. But a person has um, two kidneys, and so when they do give the gift of life, um, they're able to give two kidneys, and so that's you know wow. helpful yeah. to to reduce that list. Wow, I did not. I was gonna guess lungs. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone is listening right now and they're like considering mm-hmm. registering Absolutely. or donating one kidney, right? You know, what would you what would you want them to know? What would you want to tell them? So I would say. Um, make that decision. You can um, go online to donatelifesc.org. You can register. It takes three minutes. Uh, Once you register, share your decision. That's probably one of the most important things that we can do is um, share your decision. The state of South Carolina is a first-person consent state, so that does mean that when that person makes the decision, that those are the wishes that are honored. And so what we also encourage people to do is to share your decision with your family. So if they are presented with that decision in the hospital, you've already had that conversation and they already know. And then they're just able to honor those, that decision. Cool. All right. Awesome. This is very informative (laughs) for me. And I'm sure a lot of people who don't know much other than what happens on Grace Anatomy. Sure. Right. So I appreciate it. So we can find you at sharinghopesc.org. Okay. And Instagram and Mm -hmm. Facebook. Got all of it. All of it. Cool. And then August is National Minority Donor Awareness Month. Yes. There's a virtual walk. Yep. August 29th, Um, and you can really engage with us all month long. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll have some great giveaways and opportunities to send in videos, and so it's a a whole month's worth of um, sharing stories and inspiring our community, and we have a toolbox that you can... um, once you register for the walk, you get, and it tells you how you can send in videos, and then on August 29th, we're going to have a whole day of sharing stories of people walking and and telling us why they walk. That'll be awesome. It'll be like that. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram, search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. Have a phenomenal.